Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And a warm welcome to First Move this hour as we follow the fast-moving developments in the stunning downfall of one-time crypto king Sam Bankman-Fried. Call it dramas in the Bahamas. In the coming hours, the former FTX CEO is expected to be charged on various U.S. criminal counts, including wire fraud and money laundering. There are reports the U.S. Department of Justice, or the DOJ, is expected to unseal that indictment very soon. And in what appears to be coordinated action, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, so the SEC, announcing just hours ago, too, that it has filed separate civil charges against Bankman-Fried, accusing him of defrauding investors in what it calls a, quote, House of Cards scheme. SBF, as he's better known, was arrested in the Bahamas on Monday night and now is awaiting extradition to the United States. That's according to the Attorney General's office there. And that's not all. The U.S. Congress begins hearings this Tuesday into the bankruptcy and collapse of FTX, hearings where, of course, SBF was expected to testify. However, the panel will still hear from the failed firm's current CEO, that's John Ray, who has likened FTX to the massive accounting scandal at Enron. Those hearings expected to begin just one hour from now. Still, so many questions surrounding this story, including where did the hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of customer cash go? Can they even get their money back? And can SBF continue to use some form of ignorance as his defense? Also, will there be more crypto market contagion? Giant crypto exchange Binance now warning of further customer redemptions. We are going to discuss that throughout the show today. For now, though, also on to another huge market story. Just released economic data showing a further easing of U.S. consumer prices last month. The so-called CPI rising at a less than expected annual rate of 7.1 percent and month over month inflation of a mere one tenth of a percent higher. The market reaction, as you might imagine, is positive. U.S. futures are significantly higher this morning, with all the major averages set to rise at least 2%. You can see the Nasdaq there leaping some 3.8% pre-market. Europe on the bottom line there, also higher too, after a relatively mixed handover from the Asia session. Hong Kong, however, rising after city officials there scrapped more key COVID health restrictions. Wow, there's a lot to get to today. But first, to our top story and the arrest of disgraced FDX head Sam Bankman-Fried. And Anna Stewart joins us now, former head, of course, no longer the CEO. Um, Anna, I think for most of our audience this morning, their their head's about to explode, quite frankly, with what's coming up just in the coming hours. Yeah. (laughs) Can you just recount what we're looking for in the coming hours and Mm. how we even got here? Essentially, ever since that arrest news yesterday and the fact that U.S. criminal charges were being filed, that has sparked a huge, very quick chain reaction, really. And there is a lot to watch in the next few hours. Uh, Number one, Sam Bankman-Fried's extradition hearing in the Bahamas. That's going to happen next hour, we believe. Secondly, the new CEO of FDX, the man in charge of restructuring the business, he is testifying in Congress again 
That is happening next hour. We will also find out today what the criminal charges against SBF, SBF sorry, actually are. In terms of this second point, the testimony to Congress, we actually have a little hint of what's to come. We have the written remarks from John Ray, the new CEO, and they're really quite extraordinary. They do help us understand what went wrong. It runs through a list, really five major points of things that went wrong, including, of course, what we knew, the commingling of funds from FTX, the exchange, and Alameda Research, the separate entity, another SBF entity, uh, and funds being commingled, misused, and essentially customers unwittingly being exposed to massive of losses. But Julia, there was more. There are also allegations of loans and other payments to FDX insiders in excess of $1 billion. And there is so much commentary on the leadership, the root of the problem. Uh, here's, there's this statement from the written comments from John Ray. Never in my career have I seen such an utter failure of corporate controls at every level of an organization, from the lack of financial statements to a complete failure of any internal controls or governance whatsoever. The implosion of FDX has been incredibly fast. It's been dramatic. And you have to remember that only a few weeks ago, SBF was a poster boy of crypto. And now he is an international pariah. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? And there's so many points to make here. It's, it's, there's not enough time to make them, but it is quite <laughs> fascinating that and I've talked about it, seeming coordinated action. We've had the SEC so far, the Department of Justice expected to unseal that indictment. We've got to watch the CFTC now to mm -hmm. see what they come up with as well. And just a day before he was expected to speak in Congress, one wonders why they didn't just let him continue to talk and perhaps incriminate himself yeah. further. Um, we can discuss that. But Anna, I think this comes to something that you've mentioned frequently in the past, and that is the sheer speed upon which these charges now are appearing compared to sort of other criminal cases or at least alleged criminal cases in the past, perhaps he sort of incriminated himself with talking on Twitter, doing interviews in the last month since the bankruptcy was announced. I think you've nailed it. I think the speed of all this and the biggest enemy to SBF is SBF because he has not stopped talking. He has appeared in interviews with various media outlets. He has tweeted. He has DM'd journalists. He has spoken at length saying that he's, you know, made some mistakes, but essentially saying unwitting mistakes. Take a listen to just some of the comments we have had from him just in the last few days. I don't think that I, uh, I don't think I tried to do anything wrong. I don't know of FTX deposits being used to pay off Alameda creditors. I didn't knowingly commit fraud. I don't think I committed fraud. I didn't want any of this to happen. Um, I was certainly not nearly as competent as I thought I was. He had better hope he could make people on various investigations believe that he really wasn't competent and that this was unwitting, because otherwise, of course, that's just going to make all of these charges a whole lot worse. Julia? Yeah, he sort of leaned into that ineptitude angle. It's a good job he didn't accept a uh, interview request from us and from me. Anna Stewart, thank you so much for that. OK, prosecutors for the Southern District of New York expected to unseal criminal charges that led to Bankman-Fried's arrest. Earlier, the Securities and Exchange Commission charged him with defrauding investors. Kara Scannell joins us now with more. Great to have you with us to help us actually sort through, again, what we're expecting, what kind of charges, where they come from in the coming hours. Kara. 
Yeah, Julia, I mean, this is such a fast-moving story, mm. and we are expecting to see these charges, this indictment, unsealed in New York sometime in the next few hours. Uh, now, the, we don't know yet specifically what these charges are, but if we look at the civil charges that were pr um, announced by the SEC this morning, we get a sense of what authorities believe had happened here. And what they say is from the inception of FTX that Bankman-Fried was using customer funds uh, not for the ways that he told them he would use them. They say that he he was defrauding customers in both uh, or excuse me, investors in both FTX, the company, as well as customers who use the trading platform. Uh, so according to the SEC complaint, he didn't tell investors that he was going to take money that these that were customer assets and use them for his hedge fund, Alameda. And what authorities say there from what happened is that the money that was used for Alameda was diverted there. It was helped to cover some of their loans and their exposure, but it was also used by Bankman Fried and other executives as a personal piggy bank. According to the SEC complaint, Bankman-Fried had used some of this money to buy luxury real estate in the Bahamas for himself, his family, and also for other FTS executives. He also used some of this money to make big political donations. Of course, you know, the big debate here about whether crypto should be regulated and if so, how, uh, and that he also was using some of this money for his own personal loans. According to the SEC, he had taken out $1.3 billion in loans from this company. Uh, so we're still waiting to see what these uh, federal criminal charges are going to be. But as you have played, you know, um, Bankman-Fried has said that he never intended to defraud anyone. We're going to see uh, in short order what these specific details are. I know it's tough to predict ahead and obviously it assumes an element of guilt and whether that can be proven. But what kind of consequences are we talking about if some of these criminal uh, charges, if he's actually proven guilty of some of these criminal charges. And, and Cara, just to explain, because we did mention at the top of the show that he's now waiting extradition to the United States. How does that process even work? Right. So he'll appear in this court in the Bahamas today. Uh, at this, you know, arrest was at the request of U.S. authorities. The Bahamian authorities are also investigating him and his actions at FTX. Uh, an unanswered question will be whether he is going to contest extradition to the U.S. If he does, that could delay this process, although there is an extradition treaty between the Bahamas and the U.S. Uh, it's not clear that that will happen as quickly as these charges came. You know, so, right, as you say, if he ultimately either pleads guilty or is convicted to some of these charges, he could face quite a lengthy prison term. Now, depending on what is charged, the New York Times is reporting it could be wire fraud or money fraud. Those statutes have statutory maximums of 20 plus years. So that's a long time. And in the U.S., uh, the amount of money that you're accused of stealing can really ramp up your sentence. And if we're talking billions of dollars here, that is very serious. That is very significant for him. I mean, most people don't get the statutory maximum, uh, but it really remains to be seen what facts will come out, what evidence will come out. Uh, and ultimately, that will all inform a judge down the road if he is convicted or pleads guilty uh, to what he could face. But we're talking uh, potentially some serious prison time. Julia? Cara, mm. you are going to have a busy day. I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for that update and the information there. Cara Scannell there. Thank you. OK, the futures are bright. Take a look at the green arrows across the U.S. futures board. You can thank what seems to be some level of cooling inflation for that. Paula Monica has been pouring over the numbers for us. Paul, it's, uh, it's fascinating to see investors truly celebrating inflation when it's still sitting above 7 percent. But it's the direction of movement here, clearly, that's key. Definitely, Julia. This was something that was a much bigger than expected drop in Consumer prices, so only a 7.1% increase 
That is very notable. Why do you think futures, sir? I think it cement the notion that the I'll federal interrupt you there because unfortunately we can only hear every yeah, second word. So we're going to try and fix this and come back to you. But for now, I'm going to let you go. We'll try and do a quick fix. We love live TV. And hopefully we'll come back to you soon. All right, let's take a break. Straight ahead, how to build a business empire that lasts over half a century. Sir Richard Branson tells us the secret to Virgin Group's success after the break. Plus, is Sam Sung, a former federal prosecutor, weighs in on the Sam Bankman-Fried arrest. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move and welcome back, Paula Monica, I believe. Just to test this, I'm going to make you count from 0 to 7.1%, which was, of course, the consumer price inflation headline reading for November. Can you hear me? Well played, yes. It doesn't sound like the echo is there anymore, so that's good. Apologies to all the viewers for my uh, you know, past performance, which was probably like some sort of <laughs> avant-garde Philip Glass musical experiment gone awry. <laughs> Back to inflation, Paul, or we're going to get told off. <laughs> Talk to me about inflation. As we were saying before the break, the good news is not the level of inflation, which is still incredibly high, but it's the, the motion, the movement and the direction that inflation does appear yeah. to be coming down. Definitely. This is what everyone has been waiting for in the financial markets. It's what consumers have been waiting for. And obviously, it's what Federal Reserve and other central bankers around the globe have been waiting for. As long as the inflation pressures start to abate and we see these numbers continue to head in the right direction, which is obviously down, then that justifies this less hawkish stance by the Federal Reserve and other central bankers that they can raise rates less aggressively, which decreases, hopefully, the chances of a, a recession or if there is going to be one, maybe it's just a mild one. And obviously, consumers, it can be totally... It's totally understandable that they're not necessarily celebrating these numbers because 7.1% year-over-year price increases are still painfully high and higher than what wages are going up at. But again, it's good news if this trend continues, which it hopefully will. Yes, fingers crossed. Parting is such sweet sorrow, Paul, but I have to let you go here. Thank you totally for that update it. there. <laughs> Paula Monica, thank you. Okay, from records to rocket ships, the life story of buccaneering Virgin Group founder Sir Richard Branson is filled with brave endeavours and daring adventures. He's renowned for pushing boundaries and challenging the status quo. Today, more than 40 companies make up the Virgin Empire, employing over 60,000 people across 35 different countries. But it wasn't always this way, of course. Sir Richard began his business career in 1967 from a phone box at school running a student magazine. A few years later, his mother played a pivotal role in the founding of his music empire, Virgin Records. And in recent years, his businesses were also crippled by COVID, like many others. All of it is now the subject of a four-part docuseries on HBO. My mum tried to get us over our shyness to challenge ourselves. We allowed them to do a lot of dangerous things. That's led on to a few more daring things. He thrives on jeopardy. It's a continuation of his childhood. Having suffered from dyslexia, having left school at 15, I had a lot to prove. 
is a bundle of contradictions. People were seduced into thinking that this was a bumbling good guy, when in fact Richard always had a very firm eye on the bottom line. Sir Richard has also updated his autobiography called Finding My Virginity. And I'm excited to say Sir Richard joins us now. Welcome to the show. You know, it's quite fascinating. Yeah, I, I wanted to choose that clip. And I know a lot of people have pulled that out just for some of the some of the more punchy comments that were made. Um, bumbling, contradictions, a, a fixation on the bottom line. You know, my takeaway from conversations with you and watching you is that you're a creative, you're a dreamer, you're a risk taker. Some of the ways of describing you in that were jarring to me. How did you feel? Uh, slightly jarring too. Um, <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> uh, it was... It was an independent uh, documentary uh, by a very good director called Chris Smith, and um, and he very much wanted uh, both sides of the story. Um, uh, I think that the, the, the focus on the bottom line would be the one I would take the biggest issue on. I think what I loved doing is creating things, and if I was focused on the bottom line, I would not have started an airline 38 years ago with one plane when I had a very successful record company. I loved, I just loved the idea of creating something I could be proud of, Virgin Atlantic, which is still going strong. Um, and, you know, so, so my, so all go into the space, space, you know, space, build a spaceship, you know, so, um, so my, my feeling more is just I love to create things and hopefully the bottom line will work its way out at the end of the year and, and, and you'll be able to pay the bills. Yes, that's a product of creating something that people want and people need and people use. I think one of the other things that, that surprised me as well, not surprised me, but just again, had the same kind of feeling was this idea of thriving on jeopardy. Um, I've spoken to many and read the books of hugely successful entrepreneurs. And I think one thing that connects them is this feeling that when you're successful in one business, you you make sure it survives and you grow it and you build it and you don't go back to the beginning because that experience is so painful at times that, that once you've built a strong business, you stick with it. You're also the opposite of that. You seem to love building, to your point, creating, and you've done it so many times. Yeah, I love learning. I mean, I, I um, love learning <coughs> about things that I know nothing about. I mean, for instance, uh, Virgin, I've never been on a cruise. Um, and we decided, you know, why have I never been on a cruise? Maybe I could try to build the kind of cruise company that I would love to go on. And, and friends who would never go on cruises would love to go on. And, and Virgin Voyages got born out of that, uh, that, you know, that. And, you know, the feedback from people who go on Scarlet Lady or one of our voyage ships is spectacular. And people come back for more and more. So, um, so I think you know what we what we love to do is look at a sector that is badly run or not much fun, and you know bring some fun into it and 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 panache and style and 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 that's what I think Virgin the Virgin Virgin brand has become well known for. You know, I asked someone who. Um and I won't tell you who who knows you quite well what they think. And they said they, they think on a on a business level, actually, your threshold for pain and the challenge and your endurance is higher than most. Would you agree with that? I think that's fair enough. I mean, because <laughs> because remember, I, I'm honestly not interested in the bottom line. I'm not interested in, uh, you know, making another buck or two. What I, what, what, you know, what, um, all we have in life is our reputation. Um, and, 
Uh, and, you know, like in, in three or four weeks' time, we'll be sending the first uh, rockets into space from European soil with Virgin Orbit um, uh, and putting satellites around the Earth. And, you know, that, that is enormously satisfying and, and, and rewarding to be able to do something like that. And, um, and so, you know, so that, that, that is my reason for, be, my reason for being. And, and, and a lot of my time these days is spent, you know, you're trying to use the fact that I can pick up the phone to anybody in the world and get through to try to right. cut through on is, right. issues that are going on in the world and see if we can help, help you know, help nudge, nudge to resolve them. Yeah, I mean, I, I read recently that you said that 80% of your time now is spent on non-profits and seeing what you can do to help those who need it more and most in the world. Um, it sort of brings me back to the beginning of the, the documentary and it's, it's showing very emotional scenes when you're sort of writing messages ahead of obviously going up on the, um, the space flight and, and just the concern that if it didn't work or if something went wrong, um, what you would want your family to know and to and what you would say to them. And, and you're sort of breaking down as you do it because clearly it's very emotional. And I think it also pulls out something from your book as well. And that's the importance of family, um, the importance of your mother, who you sadly lost, I know, in, in COVID and or during the COVID pandemic. But also your wife, I think, who you've credited with being at least part of and behind some of the best decisions you've made in your life. Talk to me about the importance of family. Um. We've been really, really fortunate as a family. I mean, I've been together with Joan for 48 years. We've got um, two wonderful children, five wonderful grandchildren. We're a very, very, very close-knit family. Um, um, my mum was a formidable force in my life and in, in, in my sister's lives. Um, and, uh, and I think she, she, you know, she taught me, she taught me to run to keep up with her. She taught me to... <clears throat> stand on my own two feet and not to watch what other people were doing on television. She taught me to um, uh, to be bold, take risks, and um, and that you'll get a lot more out of life by doing it. And, uh, you know, she famously, I think, pushed me out of the car when I was six or seven and told me to make my own way to Granny's house and, you know, no things way. that she would have got a <laughs> for today. Um, but, um, Did you make um, it? But anyway, <laughs> I... I, I I got, I got sort of lost, I think, to punish her, but <laughs> I, got, I got there in the end. Okay, uh, just checking. <laughs> I think I'm still around, but um, but but I and I think that most of the adventures I did. I mean, I think in you know, there's a the, the new documentary series, um, yeah, the, the HBO series. Which I think there's an episode this uh, this just just coming up, which. Um, uh, to, uh, is about one of my balloon flights across the Pacific, and uh, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong, um, including we we missed uh, Los Angeles where we were aiming from when we took took off from Japan. We missed it by two and a half thousand miles and ended up in the Arctic. So it's quite a gripping, <laughs> gripping show. Um, but my mum would definitely have swapped seats with me if uh, if uh, if I'd been looking the other way when I got into the capsule. <laughs> it's just a geographical rounding error um, in that case. Just out of interest, what goes to your mind in those moments, whether it's that sort of where you end up in the balloon or, you know, and it goes back to the updated chapters, I think, in the autobiography as well, that sort of recognition during the COVID pandemic where 
you know, you think you've got somewhere, you think you can move on and do other things, and then suddenly every single business practically that you have is suddenly under threat. Sort of what, what goes through your mind? Do you panic the same way as, as others? I, I guess I'm trying to get to the essence of what makes you a great entrepreneur. What allows you to build what you've built, and, and consistently so? So in the balloon, on the balloon flight, uh, it, it looked on paper that we had no chance of survival. So, um, and, uh, and it was, you know, sort of 50 drawn out hours of almost certain death. Um, uh, and the only thing to do, and I think I've learned that through being an entrepreneur, is to fight, 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 fight to survive and do everything possible you can to survive. So I had to fly the balloon right up into at 42,000 feet into the core of the jet stream to you know, get, get the speed. Um, likewise, uh, with COVID, it was uh, extraordinarily tough for you know, so many people watching this program. Um, we, we chose all the wrong industries, you know, cruises, airlines, uh, fitness clubs, hotels, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, uh, and again, you know, we just had to uh, you know, I had fortunately I have a wonderful team of people around me. We just had to, uh, you know, work day and night to try to make sure that we protected as many jobs as possible. And um, and the team did magnificently. And somehow the Virgin Group came through. Um, uh, and and you know, but yeah, for about <laughs> two weeks, I, I I did feel the first. You know, I did understand depression. I never felt, I've never understood sometimes when people say they're feeling depressed. Um, I, I'm very glad actually I'm, I was able to, to feel it myself so that I can understand people better in the future. Um, uh, but, you know, when, by the time the children arrived, the kids, grandkids arrived, it, it went away pretty quickly. And of course, um, you know, having human interaction helped so much. Yeah, but I think um, to your point, that's about as an extreme low as it gets and coming back from that is um, say something about the person. I like that as a mantra, fight, fight, fight. Um, something you said, and I've just been thinking about it while you were talking, you said reputation in many ways is everything. And, and I do want to get your perspective on what we're going to spend most of the rest of the show talking about. And that's what's taking place in the crypto sector and the, the fall of, of Sam Bankman-Fried. And as far as I can see from all the businesses, you never actually went into crypto or, or blockchain technology specifically. Um, do you have a, a view on this? Can I can I ask your take? Um, I am, uh, you know, I've, I'm obviously look mortified for all those people that that, that have um, lost money over it. Um, but I also always feel sorry for the, you know, the the, the person who, uh, you know, he. I mean, just imagine how he's feeling today from being right on the top of the world to right on right on the bottom to be arrested. Um, so, um, you know, so, uh, I, you know, I spend a lot of my life trying to help help people who are in prison, you know, for, for whatever reasons, um, uh, you know, get, get, get back on their feet again and um, and, and, and get and and um, and move forward in a positive way. And um, uh, so I think one has to look at it from both both sides. It's, it's, it's incredibly um, sad for all those affected and, and obviously very sad for him and his family as well. Yeah, I mean, I was about to say it's, it's difficult to your point of looking at both sides, if indeed this is fraud and and whatever else follows. But I guess what you're saying is um, people can come back from that and people can repent whatever the circumstances and 
And that's I know that's part of what you're working yeah. on now. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've um, you know, many years ago, somebody stole from Virgin and uh, and instead of sacking them, I sat them down and just said, you know, this is not the thing to do. Um, and um, and they became our best uh, artist and repertoire person at Virgin. They they signed uh, Culture Club. They signed uh, Genesis. <laughs> uh, you know, so, so, you know, so sometimes if you if you give people a second chance, um uh, they will flourish, and uh, and uh, you know, and, and obviously, um, you know, if somebody does something dastardly, they, they need they need to be punished for it. But um, but um, but you know, I think on first crimes, the more one can give people a second chance and let them um, have have a chance to uh, yeah to put put right what they did wrong, the better. Mm. <laughs> You know, there will be people who disagree with you. There will also be people who agree with you on that. Um, but it is another fascinating insight into who you are and your life. Sir Richard Branson, thank you so much for your time and for being so honest with us today. It's great to have you. And hopefully we'll speak again soon. Thank Lovely. you. Ditto. Yes. Thank you. Thank Coming you. up on First Move. From crypto king to a criminal suspect. More on the stunning fall of Sam Bankman-Fried next. Welcome back to First Move. And U.S. stocks are rallying in early trade after a market-friendly read on U.S. inflation. Consumer prices rising less than expected last month, both year over year and month over month. Core inflation seeing its slowest monthly rise in over a year, too. Encouraging news, perhaps, for the Federal Reserve as it begins its two-day policy meeting in Washington. Thanks to today's numbers, there are already those suggesting the Fed will certainly now begin reducing the size of its rate hikes, starting with tomorrow's expected hike. Christine Romans joins us now. Christine, would you agree with those that are saying this all but guarantees half a percentage point rate hike rather than one of a larger size? Yeah, it seems like this is exactly what the Fed was was hoping to see, that its medicine is working. You know, stepping back, Julia, you and I have talked about this for more than a year, these inflation numbers. And imagine this, 7.1% consumer inflation is a relief. <laughs> That's the world we live in. I mean, so a lot of people out there are still saying, yeah, it still feels like there's inflation in the economy. There is, no question. But you're absolutely right, down five months in a row and the smallest inflation gain since the end of, uh, since December last year. So it's the trend here that's really important. The direction, as you were pointing out earlier with Paula Monica, and the direction is uh, the peak seems to be behind us and the worst might be behind us. I'm, I'm always too nervous to declare, you know, inflation is dead because it's not. It is still in this economy, but it is cooling. And that is the relief here. I mean, truly, I would have said exactly the same thing to you that I said to Paula <laughs> Monica earlier, which is it is insane to be celebrating yeah. uh, an inflation rate that's still at, what, 40-year highs yeah. in terms of the movement higher in prices. Um, the thing that concerns me in this, Christine, and, and yeah. you can educate me better, is the shelter, because it's such a huge yeah. component of both the core and the headline inflation. And when I'm saying shelter, I mean rent. And that's mm -hmm. sticky. So as much as this is starting to come down... 
Um, I worry about that because that was actually still going in the wrong direction. Yeah. And I've broken these out for you. We've got food year on year, 10.6 percent increase. So the, right. your groceries bill is still higher than a year ago. Gasoline up 10 percent, although it has cooled more recently. So, you know, people are noticing it's ten dollars less to fill up, you know, an S- a tank uh, 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 for your SUV, for example. But shelter at 7.1 percent. Um, shelter uh, is, you know, overrode a, a month over month decline in, in gasoline here for this number. I also I saw on here airline fares up 36% year over year. And I wanted to mention that to you because I know you and I both like to take the occasional trip. And and it's interesting how consumer behavior is changing. We're not buying couches. We're buying trips and experiences again. So I think you'll start to see that reflected in some of these inflation numbers as well. Yeah. Watch this space. Christine Raymonds, great to have you. Thank you. Okay, back now to our top story and the arrest of Sang Bankman Freed. U.S. prosecutors are expected to announce criminal charges against the former CEO of FTX. Separately, a few hours ago, the Securities and Exchange Commission charged him with defrauding FTX investors and customers. He was, of course, arrested on Monday, just a day before he was due to testify in a congressional hearing. Joining us now, the defense attorney, Renato Mariotti, who is a former federal prosecutor. Renato, fantastic to have you on the show. I think for most people looking at this, for me, certainly, the speed at how these charges are appearing is pretty mind-blowing. To what extent do you think the Department of Justice here in particular was helped simply by the fact that he didn't shut up and kept giving interviews and tweeting you read my mind. In fact, one of the, I had the exact same reaction. I mean, this sort of case that's been put together in, what, a little over a month, usually would take years to put together. And I think they were helped by two things. One was uh, the brazenness of this fraud. I mean, if you read the SEC's filing today, they just describe uh, the entire FTX business empire as one massive fraud uh, of both investors and customers. But the other piece, as you point out, most people, when they're caught and when they're under criminal investigation, keep their mouth shut. They hire somebody like me uh, who is carefully uh, going to uh, issue cr- carefully crafted statements and await for the evidence. Instead, uh, Mr. Bankman Freed t- literally talked to everyone. Uh, every day when I logged into Twitter, he had a different Twitter space where he was on for hours answering difficult questions, uh, really in- in- not only incriminated himself, but provided a record that the government can use at trial against him. So very problematic. I'm going to come back to that because I do think that says something about the person too, which may prove to be important. But just to be clear, because we're now in many ways overwhelmed with a number of prospective charges and and what's set to come in the coming hours. From a criminal perspective, my understanding is what we need to know is whether he knew that client money was being transferred and that there was an intent to defraud. Because when I was scanning what we heard from the Securities and Exchange Commission, they're effectively saying that. They said that, look, he'd already used client money and he was still raising money from investors. Is that what we need to see to see criminal charges proceed and for him to be found guilty? Yeah, very smart question. And that is exactly your view. You've actually honed in exactly on where the fault line is going to be at trial. And by the way, the SEC filing, as you point out, is is focused on the same things because the standard for the SEC is the same except a lower burden of proof. In other words, they have to prove uh, those things by 51 percent, whereas uh, in the United States, the criminal standard is proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So the fault line is going to be 
Um, did um, Mr. Bankman Freed know that he was making false statements to customers? You know, fraud is where you lie to people to get their money. Did he know the statements were false? For example, when FTX was telling its customers that their funds were going to remain at FTX. Uh, and the way he would know that, of course, is if he knew about the funds being transferred to Alameda, to himself and others and so forth. And then separately, did he have the intent to defraud? And of course, you know, the, the uh, SBF uh, talk, talk uh, parade where he was going and talking to everybody, I think was meant in part, I think he understood that. And he was trying to portray himself as somebody who was inattentive or not, uh, not focused on the details as opposed to somebody who was trying to trick his customers. It's interesting. He sort of leaned into this uh, idea. And I think the word I would use is ineptitude. Uh, to your point, mm -hmm. he's blatantly denied any form of fraud or knowing it. And in many cases, he sort of tried to shift the blame to others, including um, the head of Almeida Research. Um, I just wonder, in your experience, again, and it ties to the speed and the fact that he was talking perhaps too, do you think someone's talking? Do you think someone's giving evidence against him, which has also helped speed this up? Perhaps even those that he's I would accusing. Not be, I would not be surprised. Yes, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, I, I would not be surprised. It's an, another another good question. You know, I was reading the SEC filing this morning, and I was really struck by how they named a lot of names there. And that really tells me that the SEC, and I assume the DOJ, once we see that indictment, we're looking at all of those people that were involved in Alameda, for example, and if I was representing any of those people, I would tell them they're in very serious trouble and we need to be looking for a potential deal with the government. So I would not be surprised if there's cooperators. And don't forget, you know, th this was also a massive operation in which SBF was not only had a various employees and associates, but he was talking to all sorts of people around the globe as this was occurring. So I'm sure a lot of people have come forward and it would appear to be a massive investigation, a massive effort by the U.S. government. I mean, there's a whole host of potential charges here, as we've discussed, whether they're criminal or, or civil, as well as, I'm assuming, private lawsuits still to come. We've also got to question what overseas regulators do. What are, what are we looking at here, Renato, in your experience? What does this mean for SBF? I, I think that his life will never be the same. Uh, he would be very fortunate not to spend decades of his life in prison. And if I was representing him, people like SBF, when I represent people who have problems on various different fronts, I always tell them to prioritize the criminal issues. Lawsuits are, are just lawsuits. And, and ultimately, at the end of the day, fines, you know, if he doesn't have any money left, uh, you know, so be it. But his freedom is usually, you know, for most defendants, the ultimate uh, issue. And I just would be surprised if uh, he was not convicted and didn't face a very significant sentence. And we're just uh, hearing now, and it's literally just being alerted, he's being indicted on eight criminal charges, including wire fraud and conspiracy. Your perspective on that? Well, a couple things. Um, I'm not surprised that there's, you know, something wire fraud. I wouldn't be surprised if securities fraud is also in there. They mirror what, what you just mentioned a moment ago regarding the SEC's charges that he defrauded his customers and investors. Conspiracy uh, could potentially uh, help the government bring in certain evidence. I mean, I think it could bolster the government's claim, for example, if they're, if they're going to charge others. Conspiracy uh, requires more than one person. So it'll be interesting to see who else is in that. 
uh, conspiracy charge. For example, his former paramour, who is the head of Alameda or co-head of Alameda trading, that would be uh, one potential co-conspirator, for example. So I think that's interesting. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see whether there's any money laundering charges as well. Um, but, you know, very serious crimes. And as a practical matter, um, you know, a sentence here will be driven by what, what we, we call in criminal law the loss amount. In other words, the total amount of money involved, which looks to be absolutely massive here, potentially the biggest uh, fraud case since the Bernie Madoff. Yeah. You know, one of the questions that I have, and perhaps it's a sidebar here, the timing feels clearly coordinated. Why not let him speak in front of Congress? I mean, there are already conspiracy theories. He was clearly a, uh, known to be a, a big political donor. Why not let him speak in Congress today? Do you have any, any views on that? Would it have really made a difference to do this a day later and let him speak in That's Congress? That's a great question. Yeah, it's a very, very good question. We don't know the answer for sure. Uh, one thing I will say is I don't think that this decision was made yesterday or the day before. In other words, I think that this is something that's been in the works now for days because it takes time to put all of these documents together. It takes time to uh, coordinate with the Bahamian government, for example, regarding uh, potential extradition, which I'm sure they already had those discussions and had, had worked that out prior to um, the, uh, the uh, indictment and the arrest. So I think that as a practical matter, this has already been planned. And oh, I was just going to see if we could finish the, the answer there, but a um, brilliant perspective there from Renato Mariotti. I will thank him, even though he can't hear me, the former federal prosecutor there. We'll be back right after this. Stay with CNN. Welcome back to First Move and to the World Cup now. And we're counting down to the first match of the semifinals today. Croatia, the most recent runner-up, goes head-to-head -head with Argentina, the South American side, looking for their third title and the first, of course, with Lionel Messi. And we already know who's won today's Chatterley Cup. Our tournament-long look at which country's stock markets come out the winners in head-to-head -head competition. In today's match, it's Argentina easily trouncing Croatia. The Merville up almost 100% so far this year, thanks in part, as we've discussed, to the IMF bailout that took place earlier this year. Compare that to the Croatian stock market's 7% loss. Let's get more now from CNN's Amanda Davis, who is at the centre of the action in Doha for us. I mean, I know what the stock markets say, but it has to be about Croatia today. Can they do it? They clearly are the underdog. How is it, uh, how is it looking? They are, but they are a team who have become synonymous with the phrase fighting spirit. That's really been their buzzword over not only the last few weeks, but the last couple of years. I mean, there's no doubt on paper there is a massive gulf in history, footballing history, between these two sides. Just to put it into context, the last time... Uh, Argentina won the World Cup in 1986. Croatia were not even recognised as a footballing nation by FIFA. That didn't happen until 1992, the year after independence, uh, of course. So whilst this is a fifth World Cup finals as a tournament 
for Croatia. Argentina have reached the final five times in their history. That's what we're talking about. And it's made even more remarkable by the fact they're a country with a population of just less than four million people. And here they are on the brink of reaching a second straight World Cup final. Their coach, Latko Dalic, has been very keen to play down the fact that, yes, this is a team that plays in the same style as four years ago, has a lot of the same characteristics, but essentially the majority of the team are a new generation, except the midfield, the likes of Luka Modric, who we were talking about, of course. But what they know is that victory this evening for this Croatian side would see them become the first team since Germany in 2014, the only other team to have knocked out both Brazil and Argentina in a World Cup finals. And what happened when Germany did it? Well, they went on to win the title. So that is the reason that Zlatko Dalic is saying victory this evening would be the greatest moment ever in Croatia's footballing history. Have a listen. I tell the players to enjoy football because there is no success, no results if you don't enjoy your job. Each of us who does our job must enjoy it and must be happy in the job, and my players are. The players of the Croatian squad are happy. We train with great joy as well as in all our preparations, meetings and matches. And tomorrow, I will tell them to enjoy football. They are happy. They've been enjoying it. There's an amazing team spirit. And they have up to this point defied the odds. But, and there is always a but, there's so much talk around this Argentinian team about fate, about the fact it's written in the stars because it's seen as Lionel Messi's last World Cup in an Argentina shirt, because they suffered that shock defeat in their opening game to Saudi Arabia, yet still have made it here to the semi-finals. They got past the Netherlands, having been taken right to the brink, really, against them on Friday. They beat them on a penalty shootout. So people suggesting, you know, whatever the paper says, ultimately, when it comes to a World Cup, if you have luck on your side... That cannot be underestimated. But I've got to tell you, Julia, it is all set up for what is expected to be a brilliant evening. I know. And then we have to talk about Morocco, but we don't have time. I, can't, I don't think I'll be able to cope with a Croatia-Morocco final. I'll be leaping around all over the place. Um, Amanda, great to have you with us. We shall see. Can't wait for that game. Amanda Davis there from Doha. OK, we're back up to this. Welcome back. K-pop fans are on an 18-month countdown. Let me explain. The BTS superstars are one member short for now. Jin, the oldest of the seven, is the first to start mandatory military service in South Korea. The singer revealed a new look online earlier this week, having chopped off his locks for a regulation hairstyle. The group's official Twitter account posted these pictures of the BTS members sending him off, and he will serve 18 months, starting with five weeks of basic training. 18 months to go. And that's it for the show. If you've missed any of our interviews today, they'll be on my Twitter and Instagram pages. You can search for at CNN. And for now, Connect the World is up next, and I'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.